So, have you ever experienced any crazy weather? I mean, crazy weather. You know, crazy like one day it's 79, that's the high, and then the very next day the high is 49. You know, I mean, living here in the Midlands of South Carolina, we, we never have weather like that anywhere, right? I mean, weather's always about the same everywhere here, right? I did a little weather research on Casey, West Columbia, and I discovered that the record high temperature for today, March 12th, was, or still is, 88 degrees. That's, that's the record high, 88 degrees for this day. Now, what year was that record set? Well, that record was set in 1955. So 24 hours before Holland Avenue Baptist Church officially became a church, there was record heat. On the third Sunday that Holland Avenue met officially as a church, there was another record set. This time it wasn't a record high, it was a record low. On March 27, 1955, if there was a temperature gauge hanging on the back door of the first church building over on Meeting Street, that temperature gauge on that day would have gotten down to 23. 23. So two records set, uh, a steamy high of, of 88 and a freezing low of 23, all within 14 days. And you just thought we were having crazy weather this year. As the wise old man of the Old Testament would say, there is nothing new under the sun. Even on the year this church was born, the weather was crazy. There's some other crazy weather, though. It's crazy weather that you don't go outside to read the numbers on a gauge. It's the kind of weather that involves looking at a gauge on the inside. What kind of weather is that? Well, Jesus is going to help us find out this morning. Luke chapter 12, we'll begin with verse 54 and read through verse 56. And he was also saying to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, A shower is coming. And so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, It'll be a hot day. And it turns out that way. You hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? Hypocrites. I mean, that's a good way to start a homecoming Sunday sermon off, right? (laughs) What is Jesus talking about here? Well, Jesus is speaking to a group of maybe three to 7,000 people. I mean, it's it's a huge, gigantic crowd. And he doesn't have a a big sound system. He doesn't have a jumbotron behind him. The the people who are closest to him, they can see and hear him fine. And and the other people are listening the best they can. And then everybody else is kind of waiting for the information to kind of be passed down through the crowd. Well, Jesus just said, and then it would make its way all the way out to the back. Now, Jesus has been spending a good portion of the time speaking to the whole crowd. But there was a point that we saw where he kind of stopped and he turned. And and even though other people could hear him, he was just talking to his disciples, just talking to his closest friends. And now he turns his attention back to the whole crowd. And he says to them, you guys know how to pull out your weather app and figure out what you're going to wear to school or work tomorrow. But you are completely missing the most important thing you will ever see and ever hear and ever know. Now, they didn't really have weather apps. They didn't have any Jim Cantores, and so they had to kind of look to the sky. They had to kind of pay attention to nature and figure out what was going on. 
So if they saw some clouds blowing over from the west where the sea was, then they would know that there was probably going to be some rain coming. And if they felt some, some warm wind blowing up from the south where there was more desert, then they know that the weather was probably going to get a little hotter. I mean, this all seems pretty harmless, right? I mean, why does Jesus have a problem with it? Why is Jesus calling these armchair amateur weathermen hypocrites? Well, among this huge crowd of people, a lot of them were very religious. If we were to use modern terms, we might say in this big, huge crowd of people, there were some, some good Baptists and some faithful Methodists and, and probably some Presbyterians and Lutherans and maybe even some Episcopalians in that group, just a, a whole bunch of religious people. But with his weather report, Jesus is accurately forecasting that those were just aliases. He was saying that their real names were still sin and pride and lost and depraved and unsaved and unregenerate. He was basically saying that their religion was nothing more than just a mask. See, they would put on their religious costumes and they would meet together at their religious theaters and they would put on some very inspiring religious plays. And some of their religious plays were were more traditional plays and some of their religious plays were, were more modern plays. But the one thing that all of the theaters had in common, the one thing that all the plays had in common, was that Jesus was not the main character. In fact, Jesus wasn't a character at all. They they rejected Jesus, which didn't make any sense, really, because all of their religion had all of this forecasting about the arrival of Jesus. Their sacred scrolls had more than 300 very specific prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled every single prophecy with perfection. Jesus perfectly fulfilled every forecast about the Messiah. Jesus was born in the right place. He was born at the right time. He was born on the right family tree. He taught in a way that was amazing and full of power. He, he healed people and did miracles in, in ways that were unimaginable and unexplainable. And the best forecasters in the land, they looked at him and they said, Nah, nah, he's not the one. Now, he, he doesn't do things the way that we do things. So he can't be the Messiah. Not possible. The most important reality in the universe, even still today, but definitely in that moment, was standing right in front of them. And they closed their eyes and they covered their ears and they went, la, 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 I can't hear you. And that sounds a bit silly, but that's exactly what they were doing. And this isn't just some ancient history lesson. This is still a lesson for me and a lesson for you. Do you have some kind of talent or or skill? Can can you sing? Can you play an instrument? Can you create something, paint or draw? Can can you you whip up yummy recipes? Can you build something? Can you repair something? Can you manage money? Can you invest money? Can you forecast the weather? Those, Those are all great things. But none of those things give you what you need the most. On another day, Jesus said it this way, Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it profit a church member to have great church attendance, to have a good tithing record, and yet reject the Jesus of the Bible? 
I was reading a story this week about a visiting pastor who went to a church out in the country, a little small church. I think it was in the United Kingdom. And the deacon at that church told the visiting pastor that, that he used to believe in all of the Bible. Used to believe in the whole of the Bible, but, but as he grew older, he decided he only believed in the Sermon on the Mount. That's it. Now, there's a problem with that belief. Because, see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words, Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So how do you know what the will of God is? Well, here's the thing. It's not just in the Sermon on the Mount. See, you need the whole of God's Word to to catch a picture of His will. So with this statement that only believing in the Sermon on the Mount, this deacon who might have been faithful, might have been a good tither, a good attender, he was basically saying that he didn't really know the Lord because he was rejecting what the Lord has said. He was rejecting the Lord's truth. And using the word hypocrites here, Jesus is is really clearly pointing out that he was talking to those religious folks, those deeply religious folks in the crowd that were rejecting his message about the kingdom of God. But you don't have to be religious to be a hypocrite, and you don't have to be a hypocrite to reject Jesus. See, there are many people who have heard the truth of the gospel, many people who have heard that the only way to be right with God The only way to be satisfied in this life, the only way to have joy after you die, is in and through Jesus the Christ. But they hear it and they reject it. Or they ignore it. Or they say, well, I'll get around to that later. This is not an accidental forecast from Jesus. It is a a well-timed forecast. And it is a forecast that still stands today. About 150 years ago, J.C. Ryle said this, Let us not be blind and deaf and insensible to all that God is doing, both in the church and in the world. The things of which we have just been reminded are surely not without meaning. In other words, Jesus is telling us, hey, you need to pay attention to the forecast that I'm giving. And then he says this, They have not come on the earth by chance or by accident, but by the appointment of God. We ought not to doubt that they are a call to watchfulness and to preparation for the day of God. May we all have an ear to hear and a heart to understand. May we not sleep as do many, but watch and discern our time. If your heart would be honest with you, and would tell you that you have not truly repented and turned to Jesus, that you're not truly following Jesus, then I want you to know you're hearing the gospel this morning. You're hearing it in song. You're hearing it in prayers. You're hearing it in preaching. And so we would plead with you, don't stay asleep in the light. But come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and live. So what does Jesus do after he gives his weather forecast? Well, he gives another common sense picture of what it means to respond with a sense of importance and urgency to his forecast. Look what he says beginning in 57 and on into 58 and 59. And why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? For while you're going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate on your way, there make an effort to settle with him. Why would you do that? Well, he tells us, verse 58, so that he may not drag you before the judge 
and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. All right, so let's imagine that you own a cinnamon company, and I own a cinnamon roll company. That wouldn't work because I would eat all of the product and there would be no profit. So you own a cinnamon company, I own a cinnamon roll company, and man, business is booming for me. I mean, I'm cranking out the cinnamon rolls and I'm buying tons of cinnamon from you. But there's one problem. I get lazy and I get irresponsible. I really, I just get rude and I kind of forget to pay my bill for a couple of months for my cinnamon. And you call me and you send me letters and you're, you're trying to remind me. And every time I go, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. But I don't get to it. Paying you is not a priority in my life. And so you're patient with me for another month. But then after that, you, you can't be patient anymore. I'm just being too rude. And so you have to turn to the law to try to get some help to get your money. And the law where we live in, in Hazard County, well, well, the law says that if you're past due on your payment, for more than 90 days, and you get accused and convicted of that, then you have to spend three days, 72 hours in jail. Not, not only do you have to pay what you owe, but you got to spend some time in jail. And so I've been goofing off, been rude, been ignoring what I owe you, and suddenly I get a summons that i got to appear in front of J.D. Hogg down at the courthouse. What in the world am I going to do? See, I've, I've had the money all along. I just wasn't doing what I was supposed to. So I pull up in the parking lot at the courthouse, and, and you pull up in the parking lot at the courthouse at the same time, and I come over to you and say, look, I'll, I will pay you what I owe you, and I'll pay you in advance for the next month, and I'll pay a $1,000 penalty fee if, if you'll just drop the charges so we don't have to go into the court. That would be a wise thing for me to do. Because if I don't, and I end up before J.D. Hogg, then he might remember that about six months ago when he had his Cadillac convention over at the Boar's Nest, I did not give him a discount on cinnamon rolls. I paid him, charged him full price for having those cinnamon rolls catered for their breakfast. And so he might make me pay what I owe. He might put me in jail for three days, and he might charge me a huge, gigantic fine just because he don't like me. And I will not get out of jail until I pay the last red cent. See, this is common sense from Jesus. It's, it's not something hard. We, we all can understand what it means to, to settle something out of court. We, we all can understand what it would be, why it would be good to, to get things taken care of before you get in front of the judge. But Jesus isn't talking about cinnamon rolls, is he? And he's not talking about, you know, three days in jail. Jesus is talking about what it means to stand before the one true holy judge of the universe and to discover he doesn't look like Santa Claus and he's not passing out candy. Jesus is talking about what it means that all religions do not lead to heaven and all roads do not lead to heaven and all religions are not the same. Jesus is talking about what it means to wake up on the other side of death and to discover that you did inherit eternal life just not eternal life in heaven. Jesus is talking about what it means to wake up on the other side of death and to realize that you'll never sleep again and the only emotion and the only feeling, the only reality of your life will be terror and pain. See, that's how Jesus always talked. And these people in this crowd that are listening to him, they're, they're really not much different than us. They enjoyed the weather, 
They were kind of fascinated with money. They were fascinated with entertainment, fascinated with with shopping and sports and, and hobbies. They were fascinated with a lot of things, but they were not fascinated with Jesus. The most fascinating, amazing, powerful, authoritative, loving person in history was standing right in front of them, and they didn't care. They didn't care. Why? They didn't think they needed him. They thought they were pretty good people. They thought if they ever actually ended up in in front of a judge, if something like that ever happened, that they just kind of hoped that their good stuff was going to outweigh their bad stuff. In other words, they didn't see their sin for what it really is. Listen, the most encouraging thing I can tell you today and, and the most challenging thing I can tell you today is this. If you do not see your sin for what it really is and you do not see your need for salvation, then nothing else in life will make sense. Let me say that again. If you do not see your sin for what it really is and if you do not see your need for salvation, nothing else in life will make sense. So we might need to know what sin is if it's that important. So here are a few ways for us to think through it. Let's start with a, with a definition. Uh, this is a definition I recently came across. It's got some fantastic words in it. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, which results in our death and the disintegration of all creation. There's some cool words. Sin, rejection, rebellion, death, disintegration. Now, if someone does not live in reference to God, okay, they don't care about God one way or the other. They're not against him, they're not for him, whatever. If they don't live in reference to God, then words like that, they may not like words like that. They may push those words away. Or they may say they don't understand those words, or maybe they just don't even care about those words. And so let's pull some pictures in to to give some meaning to those words that might even sound religious to people. Now, somebody may not understand the concept of sin, or they may not want to talk about sin, but everybody can understand the concept of what it means for something to be broken. I mean, all of us, almost every single person in the world, either either for our personal lives or maybe even the world in general, we, we want things to be good. I mean, we want things, generally speaking, to be right. Even in the world, we want there to be more love than, than hate in the world. So we, we understand the concept of brokenness. Julianne Laird works with students in ministry in Australia. She said this, We know that things aren't right with the world. I mean, we see that every day. We hear that from people. All of this brokenness in the world comes from the broken relationship we have with God, our Father. See, sin is the cause of of every broken relationship with God. And so if a person's relationship with God is broken, listen, everything else is broken, even if they don't realize it. If your relationship with God is broken, everything else will be broken, even if you don't know it's broken. This is the defining relationship of life. But sin is not just about brokenness. Sin is also about deadly indifference. Deadly indifference. I heard it this way. Imagine I were to tell you right now that I am about to commit one of the worst sins that a person can ever commit. Okay? If you're in the first few rows, you might want to get nervous right now. All right? 
It's one of the worst sins ever. Okay, I'm just going to do a countdown, and then, and then I'm going to sin. All right, you ready? Here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. You see it? Did you catch it? You see it? Do you see my deadly sin that I just committed? What was the sin? I did nothing. One of the most deadly sins in the world, one of the most dangerous, risky sins in the world is to do nothing. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, has sent his son to make a way for us to be saved and redeemed, for us to be healed, for us to be satisfied. And we keep swiping through social media. Or we keep looking up college basketball scores and we ignore his truth. We ignore the gospel. Ben Fahler says this, God's got something to say to us and he sends Jesus to tell us about it and we just ignore it. We do nothing about it. God tells us how he wants us to live and we just yawn. We roll our eyes and we do nothing in response. Jesus is telling this crowd, he goes, look, I know you guys know how to pull out your weather apps. I know how you, you know how to figure out what the weather's going to do and, and I know you're smart enough to figure out how to settle out of court. But he also looked at these folks in the crowd as he told them about the kingdom of God and he watched them roll their eyes. He watched them yawn. He, he watched them really do nothing about the most important need in their lives. But sin is not just brokenness and sin is not just not doing anything. Sin is also worship. John Piper says this, sin is our preference for anything over God. Sin is our disapproval of God. In other words, sin is our way of saying, God, I don't like that you didn't just answer my prayer. I disapprove of how you are doing things. Sin is our exchange of his glory for substitutes. Sin is our suppression of his truth. Sin is our heart's hostility to him. It's who we are to the bottom of our hearts. See, the people in that crowd that day, they didn't need a cool religious leader. The people in that crowd that day, they didn't need a a cool religious organization. They didn't need a, a cool religious building so they could meet and have some cool religious events. They needed new hearts. They needed new hearts. And only Jesus could give them new hearts. And they yawned and they rolled their eyes and they pushed him away. Listen, again, if your heart would tell you that you're not a follower of Jesus, then then we want you to know, plead with you, that you need a new heart too. Your sin-preferring heart is punching a one-way ticket to eternal separation from God. That's not where we want your ticket. So is is there any hope? I mean, is there any good news anywhere in this? Is there any good news for those folks in that crowd 2,000 years ago? Yes. There is unbelievable, fantastic, amazing news for all of the people in that crowd. And that news was standing right in front of them. And they ignored him. But there's also good news for me and for you. Here it is. Let me read the last part of that quote. Sin is our preference for anything over God. Sin is our disapproval of God. Sin is our exchange of his glory for substitutes. Sin is our suppression of his truth. Sin is our heart's hostility to him. It's who we are to the bottom of our hearts until 
Christ. That, that's the good news. Until Christ. Until Christ, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Until Christ, I once was blind, but, but now I see. Until Christ, sin's curse still had its grip on me. But now, because of the rich mercy of God, when I was dead in my sin, when I was dead in my trespasses, God made me alive in Christ. By grace, I have been saved. Is that your story today? Peter gave us some amazing words just to, to hang our minds on 24 hours a day. This is what he said, 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Not his sin, your sin, my sin. He bore an innocent man, an innocent Savior, an innocent God. The innocent God bore our sins in his body. Please don't miss this forecast from Jesus. 100% chance of death and hell. 100%. Or have your case settled before you ever see the courtroom by Jesus. How? How, how, in, how in the world could that happen? Here's how. He himself bore our sins in his own body. He himself bore our sins in his own body. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And let us one and all come to Jesus.